So the big question is this, how do most agents who don't have access to the secrets that the top agents hoard to themselves grow and prosper in today's real estate environment? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Pat Hyben, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. All right, Rockstar Nation, now I have a guest coming from Phoenix, Arizona. I got Mr. Blair Ballin on the line, and uh, he is making some waves out there in the Phoenix area, and we wanted to catch up to him and uh, talk to him a little bit. So, Blair, welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure and an honor. Hey, Blair, why don't you uh, give our audience a little rundown on you, a little bio on you so they can get to know you better. Sure. So I've been a licensed realtor for about 19 years now. Got licensed when I was around 22 years old. First couple years was kind of a, a joke as far as being a realtor and the production I had. Um, and then got a little bit lucky and then the, the burst happened or the bubble. Um, didn't know what to do. Was about to get married. Was going through some financial uh, struggles. And then out here in Phoenix, the REO market hit. I was fortunate to be one of the first ones to get involved with that. Um, so one of my best REO years was around 330 units in a year. I did have a team, uh, totaling 25 million. So the, the uh, volume of each transaction was fairly low, um, but did a, did a ton of units and then gradually went on to do a hundred couple units each year thereafter, then went through some more issues. And then for about the past seven years, I've been doing on average about 7 million a year. The past 12 months, I've closed 54 deals, totaling $16 million. That's awesome. What's your average sale price, Blair? Right around two, between 275 to 300 Okay. All right. And um, all right. So what would you say your, your, we like to talk about the ECI, the ego commission income. What is your, what is your total gross commission income after, you know, before the broker fees and before any expenses? Uh, so this last year it probably ended up, um, give or take probably around 200, 225, somewhere in there. Okay. And then what was your net profit? So that would probably have been in the neighborhood of 125 to 150. Okay. And it's just you, right? No team, just, just Mr. Blair. I do have a team, but I don't include their numbers in my stats. Oh, Okay. That's interesting. So do you, so the stats of your gross commission, you don't include them either for that? The gross income would, as far as volume of transactions and stuff, that's not included. So if we were to subtract that stuff out, last year probably would have been in the neighborhood of maybe 150 to 175 instead. Yeah, yeah, okay. I got you. And so let's talk about what makes you really different now. And this is, you know, how you're utilizing texting. And, and, you know, the other thing I want to talk about is how you've gone from REO to traditional and kind of had your ups and downs in that. But first of all, let's, let's jump on this little texting thing we were talking about before the show. So tell me about the, the follow-up and the use of texting and that sort of thing that you're implementing now. Sure. So I, I really try to use a couple different programs for mass texting, single texting, whatever the case may be, depending on who the prospect is. And I, I 
try not to mass text mass text my database, uh, meaning my past clients and stuff. So someone that I probably haven't spoken with in the past or developed a relationship. And at times I've mass texted groups of anywhere from 50 to probably 3,000. And whether it's just to clean up a database to find out if it's really them, because I work with a lot of online leads, making sure that it's really them. Um, or announcing to them a new property that I might have for sale, a new type of loan program that might be out there, whatever it is I can to re-engage them or engage them, period. All right, so what, what are you using to send these mass texts? So a, a couple programs. The, one of them is my Commissions Inc. website, which I know not all, pro, not all programs like that have mass texting. So one that I also use is, I think it's called either EZ texting, so the letter E and then Z texting, or clubtexting.com, I think is another one. And then you can import whatever database you want. Um, they are pretty strict on the laws that they use as far as, or, or that they, they really try to abide by the laws. So um, if they notice that it is a very like salesy type message, it could get it kicked back uh, kicked back or your account suspended, which not saying that totally matters because you can create a new one, but I try to send messages that aren't always interpreted as just being salesy. So give me an example or a couple examples. So even though it's selling something, basically, do you by chance know of anyone looking uh, to buy this new listing that I'm going to have in South Phoenix for X price? Or are you aware of I don't know. I'm guessing it's across country, but uh, are you aware of the Home in Five program, which can get you into a home for as little as fifteen hundred bucks? So something like that. Okay, and so so just general ones, and and would you say, hey, I just saw this hot new listing. I thought you might be interested in it. Something like that. In the seven years that I've been texting, I think I've only done that once, and and I wasn't too fond of it. So no, I don't do that. Yeah, and you weren't fond of it. Why? I don't have my groups really well segmented, so I don't know that it always applies towards everyone, whereas the, the general ones have a better chance. So I, I would like to have the best opportunity about getting as many responses as possible, and I just felt that that wasn't going to do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, one guy I talked to actually earlier today basically has his categorized into buyers and sellers. And then he has mm-hmm. another category into, you know, a top 20 list in each one. So he can send to his top 20 uh, or he could send to all of them. Hey, you know, I've got some free time Saturday between 10 and 2 or I just had a cancellation between 10 and 2. You want to go out to the buyers. You want to look at houses or, you know, we're running a special for, you know, Labor Day on commissions, would you be interested in enlisting your house before Labor Day to get this special to the sellers? So, you know, whatever it's seller specific, buyer specific, but it's still ambiguous, still vague enough that people, you know, will, will raise their hand based on the seriousness level. Totally. And, and something else, I can't say that I've done this that many times, but I have done it both mass text and email to similar or the same databases is something completely non-real estate related. I I happen to be a sarcastic person, so this fit into it too, but the response was really good. And the text and email basically said, do you like your meatballs baked or fried? 
and um, again, had nothing to do with real estate, got a bunch of responses. Some were obviously negative. Some were very positive. Some said, you know, like, this is like the funniest thing I've ever heard, whatever. So, (laughs) you know, I don't know that there's, uh, and I'm not saying that you asked me this, but I don't know that there's one you know, magic text that works for everyone. I know that I've seen emails and texts before that supposedly do that, but I think anything we can do to be different, and and I'm not saying that meatball one is genius, but anything we can do to be different is great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And let's talk a little bit about text because, you know, people out there, you know, I don't think they realize the impact or the value of a text versus an email versus a voicemail versus a Facebook messenger. And, you know, I think Mm -hmm. that a lot of people put more value in email than they do, say, a text. Can can you talk about the Mm -hmm. different levels of value and how you value text as compared to emails and other forms of communication? You know, I'm I'm obviously a realtor. That's why I'm here uh, right now speaking with you. But, um, I'm on my phone constantly. It's an iPhone and I I live by it. Uh, And and I think much of society does. And even though we have our emails tied to it, we're we're usually a society that wants, wants instant gratification. So a text is more likely to be seen as quickly as possible by someone. So if that's what we're trying to accomplish is get in front of them as quickly as possible, the text accomplishes that. And I don't, this isn't related to your question, but I thought I'd throw it in there too. I don't know that this is a very new tool, um, but some marketers, realtors, whatever you want to call business people out there, if we don't always have the person's phone number, this is a texting uh, tip. If we don't have the person's phone number and we have an iPhone and they have an iPhone or an Apple device, but usually an, uh, an iPhone is the best way, is we can plug, and they have an, a, a Gmail email address, we can text their email address. And if it shows up in blue, that means that it's going to show up as a text message. So now, instead of just trying them by email, we've now been able to actually text them. So I'm not going to say that that works every time because not everyone has an iPhone, not everyone has a, a, a Google address or whatever's needed with it, but that has also improved conversion for me and I know other agents. And I think it just goes back to what I said earlier is that I'm on my phone. I know other people are on their phone. They see a text, they're likely to respond to it. Um, you know, we're in a society where if we're in a meeting, we don't necessarily pick up our phone to answer a call, but if we see a text, we're still going to be in a meeting while we text. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and here's the funny thing, you know, or, or reality of it, you know, I have two kids that are in their twenties and, you know, I'll send them a text. I'll get a response right away. (laughs) If I send them an email, it could be weeks. (laughs) Absolutely. And and I think that that goes over to, you know, our business specifically. Uh, If we're trying to capture people and let's just say right now, millennials are buying real estate. Why not use the best method possible to reach them? Yeah, and, and I, I really, I had a conversation with some guests that were over uh, last weekend and they were talking about callers and, and just people like we have friends, mutual friends that are callers, meaning they refuse to text, they refuse to email, they don't go on social media and they call and what's happened is it's become annoying. You know, they call and they're mm-hmm. like, dude, you know, they ask, what have, what have I been up to? Well, shit, look at, the, look at Facebook, right? I mean, figure it out, you know? It could be like yeah. that, but that's the reality, right? 
You can figure mm-hmm. out yeah. what I've been up to. And I know they're just trying to reach out and connect with me, but we literally just talked last week or whatever. You know what I mean? So I think people, other, <laughs> I think other people feel the same way. And by texting, mm-hmm. you're essentially saying, hey, this is, a, this is important. This is a business question. This is something that needs a response. Mm-hmm. As a member of the Rockstar Nation, you may have noticed that every guest that comes on the show now is required to bring with them a free tool, an item of utility that real estate agents can use to drastically increase their sales and profits. Some of the things that have been brought have been ebooks, forms, reports, negotiating techniques, hiring guides, postcards, checklists open house secrets, newsletters that are sent out, sphere of influence forms, referral request forms, and the list goes on and on. If you would like to get this free toolbox full of items of utility, simply go to hybendigital.com backslash toolbox. That's hybendigital.com backslash toolbox or simply text toolbox to 444-999. That's toolbox to 444-999. All right, Blair, let's shift gears a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about REOs because I know, you know, you did 335 units in a year with REOs and then, you know, you shifted to more traditional business. Tell me the whole story of your your trajectory as a real estate agent being a different type of agent. So so both paths, really all, well, yeah, I guess both paths were, were sort of out of the necessity of having to do something in my life and business. So REO... Literally, I was on the computer one night, found out about doing BPOs, started doing BPOs, and then that led to getting uh, properties and then more properties and then having a team and then all that good stuff that came with it. And then I I was not able to transition into short sales for whatever reason. And then again, same kind of trend happened where I, I had to do something and then I got into, you know, what I've been doing the past seven years, which is prospecting. But the REO was was great from the standpoint that it was during a time that unfortunately there was, you know, some depression, some economic downturn. I was, uh, I'm grateful to have been part of it to be able to, you know, support my family. What I will say is it's led me to have many relationships that I probably wouldn't have had otherwise meeting, meaning meeting certain realtors that I was able to meet because of my successes during those years and all that kind of stuff. But it was probably one of the worst times in my life from the standpoint, uh, I, I'm a control freak. And even though I had a team, I was doing so many things myself that I ended up having some very bad health issues. And the asset managers, at least the ones I worked with, were just a pain. And they didn't, they didn't know how to treat people correctly. And, and all of that stuff eventually just led to a very negative trend in my life that I don't necessarily wish I could have back, but looking back, I I would be happy if that part wasn't there because of all the negative stuff that happened with it. And at the same time, when my last REO client let me go, fired me, whatever you want to call it, it was really one of the greatest days of my life because that meant that all the REOs were gone. I didn't have any more to have to deal with, even though I didn't I didn't have to necessarily. And then it, it led me to where I am now, and and I'm I'm grateful for that. 
Yeah, I think a lot of people see, you know, the REO business and they're like, wow, you know, he's lucky or she's lucky and that they just get these listings given to them. They don't have to work for them and blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, they, you know, they don't realize that there, there are a lot of asset managers that are, that are monsters, right? That are just like, just like treat agents like pieces of dirt, you know, quite frankly. And then uh, they don't see any of that, you know, from the outside. Now, I know Phoenix has gone from, you know, a, a crap load of REOs to basically none, right? Yeah, I mean, there was a time, you know, whether it was 2007 or eight or whatever, where distressed properties, REO, REO and short sale, whatever, were literally probably 80% of our market. And now I would say maybe 90 to 95% are traditional. So it's, you know, along with the trends of pricing, it's, it's done the complete 180 on it to where we're almost all traditional now. Yes, you can go in MLS and out of our 20,000 homes for sale, maybe find, you know, five that are REO, but um, <laughs> they're complete garbage. And it's funny, uh, on a different note, like how many buyers think that buying like a bank owned property is like going to get a good deal. Maybe like one out of, I don't know, 500,000, like is actually that scenario. But generally speaking, if you're looking in the average price point range in any market, most REOs are not going to be better deals than traditional sales. So it's just another home on the market. But uh, yeah, asset, some asset managers were just jerks. I personally, and I'm not saying no one else did, but I personally worked very hard to get the business I got and very few of them appreciated it, especially the ones associated with the government. And this isn't a government or political discussion, uh, but they, you know, j they just thought that they controlled the whole universe. And maybe they did. But that doesn't give them the right to be mean to people, to, to not treat people fairly. Well, I think the bigger the account, the heavier the hammer they feel like they have. Like, obviously, Fannie and Freddie is what you're talking about. And, and you know, certainly they could, you know, there was an agent in, in my market when I was selling that, you know, had a Fannie Mae account. And they took, they took 100 listings from him, you know, all mm -hmm. at once, you know, and it ruined his life temporarily. You know, now he's thriving mm -hmm. all in the traditional sense. But at the time, it was a disaster. I mean, it was like, oh, my God, how could you do that? You know, he right. ended up suing them, but uh, yeah, that, that's, well, that's interesting. And I think that that just, that's part of the game, certainly in the REO world. And, you know, what do you think the future is for REOs? Do you think we're going to have another influx of these REOs when all of these, you know, adjustable rates or these, you know, seven year, 10 year loans come due? Or do you think that the market is just too good and the equity is just too good out there? for us to see any more, you know, foreclosure business like it, like it has been? Sure. I, I do think it's very market specific. I'm going to talk about Phoenix because that's where I am and I, I don't really know the other markets, but I mean, as a, as a general rule, I think uh, asset management levels are going to be the same everywhere. So this probably applies to most places is that um, I, I don't see anything like 2007, 8, 9 happening again. I, I just don't see how that could happen. I, I do think that there's plenty of idiots running those industries, plenty of greedy people, but they, they saw what happened. And when you release, you know, whether it's 100 properties at a time to 10 agents or whatever, and then all of a sudden your local market gets hit with however many properties, that's a large amount, that's only going to drop 
prices quite a bit like it did back then. And I think, and I would certainly hope, I know there's been at least one movie going over this and how it probably could happen again. I, I do think there will be foreclosures again. I don't, I mean, there's always going to be foreclosures, but I don't think it's going to be anywhere on the scale of what had happened. I think enough people have learned their lesson that it won't happen like that again. Will we get foreclosures again? Absolutely. Andrew, what's the name of that movie? Uh, was it The Big Short? Oh, you mean the big short. Okay, yeah. I thought you meant there's a new movie that's that's basically oh, no. it's going to happen again. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, and obviously the, the big short covered a lot of what happened yeah. in, in a very accurate depiction um, and, and then going over how, how these notes probably are being recreated with a lot of zero down type stuff. I, I think there's still a lot of lending things that are going on where it's very difficult to get a loan if you're like a dead cat right now. <laughs> or using a, a dead person's social security number, it's a lot harder for that to happen. And I understand that that doesn't make up all the loans that were foreclosed on. But I, you know, you can't, and I'm, I'm not trying to single anyone out, but you can't be, okay, I'll, I'll rephrase that. You can't necessarily work somewhere and make minimum wage and easily buy 10 homes saying you're going to live in all of them right now. And unless that comes back, I don't know how that wave could happen again. As a member of the Rockstar Nation, you may have noticed that every guest that comes on the show now is required to bring with them a free tool, an item of utility that real estate agents can use to drastically increase their sales and profits. Some of the things that have been brought have been ebooks, forms, reports, negotiating techniques, hiring guides, postcards, checklists open house secrets, newsletters that are sent out, sphere of influence forms, referral request forms, and the list goes on and on. If you would like to get this free toolbox full of items of utility, simply go to hybendigital.com backslash toolbox. That's hybendigital.com backslash toolbox or simply text toolbox to 444-999. That's toolbox to 444-999. The biggest risk now, I think, is, is certainly people buying based on equity. And if, if values change, equity changes. And, and of course, you know, you'll have upside down loans, but generally values won't change unless you have a black swan create uh, some sort of crash, right? Like the mortgage mm -hmm. meltdown did. So, you know, something has to create that. Otherwise, values just kind of gradually go down. So it's interesting. Yeah, and I think. I think yeah. along with that, I mean, like jokingly, not, not trying to be funny, a couple of years ago when people were wondering what our market would do and if we would have that wave again, when a lot of people were unsure about our market, is I would say, you know, like, unless we have a world war, I don't really see that kind of thing happening again. Um, and I'm not suggesting that everything happening with North Korea now is going to uh, yield to that or lead to that. But, you know, something like that could potentially lead to more foreclosures. But you know, uh, I guess like we can't control that. So it is what it is. Yeah. Very interesting. Hey, talk to me a little bit about Phoenix. Uh, there's been some articles written and there's uh, some people have mentioned this uh, from a brokerage standpoint. I know Phoenix is a hotbed for the, uh, you call them disruptive, call them ingenuity, whatever you want to call it, new companies. 
that are coming in and uh, disrupting the brokerage model so that some of these brokers that have been in there for years, you know, making really good profits are now struggling because of the disruption in the, in the new brokerages and the new companies that have come to town. Can you talk about that? Sure, absolutely. So I, I do know probably about three, four or five years ago, somewhere in there, the brokerage I was at, my broker looked up some stats and this doesn't directly answer your question, but it really goes to show how, you know, like it's the wild, wild west or whatever. He had mentioned to me because he did some research that there were over 2000 brokerages and we have over 40,000 agents in our, in our area. So I don't know how that compares to others. I, I would imagine it's, it's near some of the top, whether it's five, 10 markets in the country or whatever. Um, that's a lot of brokerages and there's always someone or some entity trying to create something better. I don't know if these are what you were specifically referring to, but I do know, you know, like Open Door's been out here, which they're not, I mean, they are a brokerage. They're not necessarily trying to recruit agents to be part of the brokerage, but their model is basically become an asset manager, obtain a property somehow, and then essentially put that property on the market somehow with their brokerage, allowing other agents to potentially sell it and buyers to buy it. The other big one, I would call them, OfferPad was actually, from everything I know, started by a very well-to-do REO agent from Phoenix. And the model was basically like the same as Open Door. Let's buy a bunch of properties and then, you know, create that through our brokerage. As far as the actual brokerage model, I don't know that we were the first one to start it. I would find that too hard to believe. Uh, that's my own opinion. But the 100% shop is just king out here finding a brokerage that basically says you get to keep all your commission, you pay us a monthly fee and then a transaction fee, which is usually very minimal. And that's very attractive because a lot of agents, you know, if there's 40,000 agents, there's probably, I don't know what, maybe a thousand that are actually doing consistently decent business, maybe 2000, uh, somewhere in there. So everyone else is struggling to get deals and whatever they get, they want to keep. So as much as possible. So, I mean, there, there's, it seems like every week there's a new brokerage, a new model, and certainly, again, it's, it's the wild, wild west with what's going on out there. Yeah, that's a good analogy to, to, to say wild, wild west. It's, uh, it's interesting <laughs> to see because, and you know, normally in some markets, you, you have one company come in and it disruptive every, all the agents, you know, because agents are almost, you know, they're like semi-unionized, right? It doesn't, they don't have to be at the same <laughs> company, but they... They're just as agents, I think. You know what I mean? They talk. They don't, they're certainly not in an antitrust form. I'm not meaning that. But at the same time, they, they do have events that they all go to with all different companies. They do talk about the outsiders coming in. And whenever you have a discount broker coming in that's going to, you know, let's say, charge the consumer a lot less money or be disruptive to the agent's commission, they tend to be like, well, they talk bad about it. Right. I'm, I'm mm -hmm. trying to think of how to say this, but you know, here in Phoenix, then you don't, you don't just have one that they're talking about. Now there's 10, 20, 30, right. And they're net. Now you have um, all these companies. And so people listening that don't understand like offer pad and open door, they've allowed the other shoe to drop from traditional marketing. I mean, so, so in the past it's been like, Hey, buy your, these yellow signs that say, I'll buy your home for cash. Right. Yeah. 
tomorrow or whatever. And, and there's always that shoe to drop where they're like, oh, well, when I call them and that other shoe is going to drop, they're going to pay me 50% of what it's worth. Well, now they're dropping that other shoe in their marketing, right? They're just, they're just offering people stuff. Price. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, Zillow recently launched uh, here in Phoenix. I know they've done in other markets, the, whatever it's called, the instant offer or value offer, or yeah. whatever. My personal opinion, and I, I tend to be different, and, and this isn't, I, I just brought Zillow up, but this isn't a Zillow discussion. I personally think we as agents, um, like this is probably one of the best things that could have happened from the standpoint, and, and I know this has nothing to do really with what you were asking about with brokerages, but from an agent standpoint and, and brokerage model, I think it's really, it, it should have given us that swift kick in the butt if we didn't already realize it that there are these other companies out there. There's always going to be something else we need to continue or figure out the uh, best way of providing value to the consumer because that's really what it's always been about. So in my case, I've established a relationship with Open Door. I've been fortunate to do that and, and many other agents could too. And they, they refer me business at times. And I'm not saying that every agent's going to get referrals. I'm not saying that makes up a ton of my business, but have I lost listings to them uh, and OfferPad? Absolutely. Does it really matter to me? No, because it's just another number and I just need to figure out how to get more appointments and some will see my value, some won't. And that's really no different than just being a regular lister in a regular market going on a listing appointment where you go up against your two top competitors as individuals. In this case, maybe there's a top agent as my competitor and then open door. And if that consumer's looking for whatever the number is, 30, 40% off uh, regular market value, and, and they want that money tomorrow, if you can't produce your own investor, then whatever, uh, then you haven't provided that value. That's not necessarily the other companies or agents fault, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing how people, I don't want to say are lazy, but how people are insecure in that they want the security of an offer, mm -hmm. even if the offer is lower. And they also don't want to go through the process of having people through their house, even though in a good market, it may sell in a weekend. In their mind, they, there's such fear of what if it doesn't, what if I have to sit on the market three months or six months or you know, get my house ready and do it. And, and they're willing to lose tens of thousands of dollars, you know, to avoid that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, another part as agents that we need to know is what exactly do those companies provide? Because maybe like in my case, when I go on a listing, if I feel that uh, one of those options is going to be good for the consumer, now I provided more value. It's basically like having it, and I know this is going against what you said, but if, if that's what the consumer is looking for, I want to tie them into that. So now I can get a referral fee from, let's say, Open Door, which they do pay. And then now we have that offer right away. And then if they need to sell that home to buy, now we have that offer. We can go looking. I've accomplished and, and gotten their goals all solved by just not being afraid of the quote-unquote competitor. Now, did that consumer potentially miss out on however many grand on their home and stress or whatever? Possibly, but I feel that we've done our job as agents in that case. 
Yeah, that's interesting. And and so you're the first person I've heard that has said that they actually collaborate with them. And again, it's it's collaboration versus cooperation, right? Or collaboration versus competition. So you're saying, hey, you know, if Open Door sends a postcard that says, I'll give you 280 for this house and it's worth 320 and the buyer says, nah, I'm going to put it on the market with an agent. And they said, you have an agent? And they said, no. And they said, well, let me refer you to Blair. That's a way for you to get referrals, right? And then you, you pay them a referral fee for that? They will pay me. Or, uh, so in the buyer case, yeah, if the buyer's going to look for a home, uh, they might refer that buyer to me if it's in my area. If it's a seller, if I refer that seller to Open Door, then I get a referral fee from Open Door. So as yeah. an example, and I'm not saying that these are the numbers, but instead of me getting, getting a 3% commission, I might get one. But that seller, if they want this, they now have that offer. We can go shopping for the home that they really want and we accomplish everything anyway. Now, did I get my you know, uh, extra 2% on the, on the front end? No. Does it really matter? To me, no, because now I have a happy consumer that we can go shopping, get them into a home anyway, and, and resolve everything. So I, I totally uh, accept the competition because to me, the only competition that's out there is me anyway. And if I, I don't know how to get over my issues, then I'm just going to accept a bunch of drama outside anywhere, and that's not going to get me anywhere. Now, will they do they list their own houses, or will they refer you a listing if the people don't want to take their low bid. So they've actually, so I've been part of a couple uh, private meetings with them in, in my market. I, I'm, I'm pretty confident they're doing this in other markets. They, they are actually, I believe, starting the, the possibility of, of releasing that group of homeowners and they don't necessarily buy all homes that they can buy, meaning Let's just say in my market, if it's a half million dollar home and above, they don't buy those. So they're starting to figure out the right programs to where they can refer those listings out also. And I've, I've not done anything I've done to just be like a good little boy with them. Like I, I personally think they're excellent for the marketplace. Do they have some faults? Sure, we all have our faults, but I, I enjoy working with them. I happen to think that most of their listings, at least out here, are in good condition. They're just like a basic investor from the standpoint there's no emotion involved. They will fix repairs that they should fix or take care of. And they're just a good company to work with on a cooperation standpoint, meaning if they list a home in MLS that they've bought or whatever, it's a really good process and a really good home, similar to my REO experience from, you know, you're, you're dealing yeah, yeah. just on the number standpoint. So I, I love it. Not everyone will have the same experience though. And I accept that. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Well, listen, I really appreciate you coming on Blair and sharing all, all these different things and different perspectives. I, I mean, it's uh, I always like talking about high level things and I always like talking about things that are, you know, relevant today uh, versus the old cliches that uh, some agents will give you uh, regarding advice and things like that. So I appreciate you uh, being candid, and uh, next time I'm in the Phoenix area, I'll look you up, and uh, we can break some bread. I appreciate your time. Yeah, it's been an honor being on with you, and uh, thank you again. Thank you for tuning in to Real Estate Rockstars. Please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you may be listening. If you haven't already, please give us a review. 
I don't care whether it's a one-star review or a five-star review. We eat feedback for breakfast and we need your reviews. Also, the more reviews we get, the better our guests become. Thanks again for listening and find me on social media simply by typing in my name. I'm Pat Hyben and keep rocking. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.